Hey, Mark. Hey, Joe. How's it going? Very well. What episode? I've lost track. What episode is this? Are we eight. like? I think we're at eight. Eight. Excellent. Yeah. Wow. We're making progress. We're getting there. I'm upset. This suggests you did not call me first. What the hell is happening here? <laughs> it was a, a, all scheduling, Robert. All scheduling. I am going to tear this place apart. <laughs> we should introduce our disembodied voice. I am not acquainted with, with Robert Chaz Shoot, but I hope to become acquainted during this podcast. I wonder, Robert, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, sure. Uh, I used to work in traditional publishing. I went to journalism school and the BAM School of Fine Arts, and I worked in traditional publishing in Toronto for five years. And uh, then I got distracted with other things, and eventually, uh, all that, that time I was writing, 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 writing. And um, eventually, about uh, 12 years ago, I started uh, publishing my stuff through Ex Parte Press, which is my company. And I write killer crime thrillers and with uh, muscle and apocalyptic epics with heart. And I'm a multi-award-winning writer. And despite all appearances, I'm really quite sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that. You are. You're a sweet man, despite all the zombies and everything that you write about. Well, I appreciate that. Is your sweetness inversely proportional to the subject matter that you write about? Actually, I, I don't have it worked out on a chart, but yes. Uh, <laughs> I write about terrible, terrible things happening, but I always try to give people a little bit of hope. Just when you said that, I started to think of Keanu Reeves and his latest movies. Is that Are we in the ballpark or is that is there any similarity? Kind of like the John Wick stuff, yeah. With the crime thrillers, I'm really not interested in um, anything to do with uh, police procedurals or the cops. Because a, a friend of mine was an RCMP officer, and he said, how can you write crime thrillers without cops? And I said, the cops show up after it's all over. Hmm. How are we at the count in terms of the number of crime books you've written and post-apocalyptic books? Because last time we chatted, I think it was like three and two or three and one. Boy, we haven't chatted in a long time. <laughs> I, I, yeah, that's what I'm asking. Is I know it's been a long time. Uh, I think I've stopped counting. I know that I'm I'm over thirty books. Wow. And, and I've I've done some stuff with pen names and stuff, but and I also do book doctoring uh, a few times a year. But what I uh, what I notice is somebody will be talking to me about one of the books from 2013, 2014, and I'll go, yeah, I should really write a sequel to that. But on the other hand, I can't remember the name of the protagonist now. Uh, <laughs> I've moved on. I am very impressed with that count. That is, uh, how do you do it? Okay, well, uh, productivity. There are so many things to say about that. One thing I would say is that at the beginning of my career, it was a bit of an illusion because I had been writing a whole lot and I'd worked in the traditional publishing industry. And the truth was, I wasn't really all that impressed with my colleagues. There were some nice people. There were some smart people. There were some people who weren't either of those things. And when I got into publishing, I had this really romantic idea of it being witty conversation over cocktail parties. And then I went to the cocktail parties and they weren't witty. And so I kept on writing these manuscripts while I had a, a day job and I had control of my time because I was my own boss. So uh, I haven't had a boss since uh, 1991 because I do not recommend having a boss if you can avoid it. <laughs> and, uh, I, I had a, a routine where I would go to the coffee shop and I would write until the battery on my laptop died or until my butt got sore. And so I would do that every day, every day, every day. And so at the beginning of the career, it looked like, oh my God, this guy is incredibly prodigious. It's just that I'd been writing for several years and I hadn't, I had all these manuscripts. I had a couple of trunk novels that will never see the light of day because, you know, your first books tend to suck. As things improved and I got some 
positive feedback from my beta team and editors and stuff, I realized that I could actually put them out somewhere. So I went to a writing conference in Vancouver in uh, Tommy Town, I guess. And I met my first person who was only reading eBooks. And then I, I saw Kevin Smith in Kitchener, the, the director, and he inspired me to go, you know, he has this thing about the, the Gretzky thing about you don't go where the puck is, you go where the puck is going. Mm-hmm. And I saw that publishing is where the puck was going. And you could be much more flexible. You could have control over your own stuff. And I have a problem with authority. So it was a good idea for me to have control over my own stuff, not have a boss, and put out the stuff. I'd hired my own graphic designer. I hired my own editors. I uh, had a great beta team behind me. And I was very confident in the uh, in the um, stories I was telling. And and I'd, I'd won some awards by then, too, because I'd written some a bunch of short stories and stuff. So I started putting a whole lot out, putting a whole lot out. And so it was the routine of writing 1,000 to 2,000 words every day. And it was just as simple as that. So write until your battery dies on your laptop. Do that every day. And in 12 years, you'll have more than 30 books easy. Uh, and actually, in the last year, I have because of COVID and some health issues, I have actually eased back quite a bit, uh, which I don't recommend anybody in this business try to rest on their laurels because that is actually what I've been doing. Uh, but, but I I wrote a, a masterpiece and then I sat back and went, well, that should do it. I could, I could relax now. And I have, <laughs> I have other things uh, I need to do. And that masterpiece is, uh, is called Endemic and it's been, it's won the uh, first place in the Hollywood book, book Festival, the first place in the New York Book Festival, the Literary Titan Award. And right now, as we speak, it's semifinal in the semifinals for the North Street Book, book Prize. So I thought, okay, I can uh, ease off. And now with the switches that are happening in the industry, problems that are happening on Amazon right now with glitches and, well, it's not a glitch, it's a, it's planned failure is what they're doing right now. I'm going to be switching more to audiobooks and getting back on the horse and, and uh, producing more books. I've been a, a bit focused on my health for the last year and that's improved a lot. So I think it's time to get back on the horse and uh, look more productive again. Uh, and I also, I have these, um, a steady stream of book doctoring projects, which keep me busy as well. I've actually been working in other people's dreams. I have three books in the last year that I've done some book doctoring on and, or done the book doctoring on. I have an editor that I work with. It helps me out in Texas as well. My editor is amazing. It's uh, Gary Strawn from strawnediting.com. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the new year, getting back on track. I want to uh, produce my own audio books. I thought about that a couple of years ago. Gee, what happened in the beginning of 2020? There was something <laughs> um, that made me agoraphobic. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the plague. So, and, and actually 2021 was a very productive time because that, that's the time that I focused on writing Endemic, which is all about a former book editor come uh, urban farmer who's trapped in New York during a uh, viral plague, which is ending the world. That's my, um, I think, my favorite dedication of all my books. Most of my books are dedicated to my kids or my wife because, um, you know, you gotta. Uh, and they deserve <laughs> it. They've been very patient. But for uh, Endemic, the dedication is for all those who are pushed around against all those who do the pushing. Hmm. Nice. And that's, um, that's lovely. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That one's right from the heart. There's a, there's a whole lot of, in the midst of an apocalypse, it's about, you know, how we change, how slowly we change, how we don't change, how we want to change, how we fail to change and how we overcome. So, you know, I, my bestseller is still after so many years, after, after a decade, it's still this plague of days. It's a trilogy about a, um, 
mute boy in the spectrum who is in a big battle against uh, uh, with good and evil and zombies and all that. And that is still my bestseller. But um, hmm. Endemic is the one that's closest to my heart right now. But that's a little bit like, you know, choosing your favorite child. Choosing your favorite child is actually a little bit easier because, you know. Because <laughs> um, they are people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I, that love goes back and forth. It's like, oh, you, you've annoyed me this week. You were no longer my favorite. But, you know, next week may, di- may be different. I've only got two, so I go back and forth. <laughs> okay. Do, do you want to break the bad news to Robert Mark or shall I? Uh, what's that? That he has to give us uh, its show and tell part of the podcast? Is that what I mean? That sadly, as wonderful and fascinating as he is and his work, this is not about him. Ah. Inconceivable. <laughs> I do not think you understand the meaning of that word. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so this is the part of the uh, podcast where you reveal your show and tell what piece of art inspired you or artiste or artiste yeah. sure yeah i can talk to the artist too well it's funny that you mention princess bride i am a huge fan of william goldman i've learned a lot from stephen king i i, I've, I learned a lot about structure from stephen king i learned a lot about pacing from blake crouch if you haven't read mm-hmm. Run, uh, Run is an excellent lesson in pacing because it's just a, a tumult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but William Goldman, people will often think of William Goldman as the author of The Princess Bride, uh, as a screenwriter, Princess Bride, All the President's Men, Marathon Man, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, a plethora of other stuff. Year of the Comet is kind of the the one that, that missed. Um, but... Um, he is a brilliant novelist and people don't know that when he was alive, I believe he was the best American novelist alive. Hmm. And I remember being on the 28th floor of my, it was my apartment building in Toronto at Sherbin and Wellesley. It was a summer night and I got to the end of color of light, which I believe is the best novel ever written and now out of print. And he got me on the last page and I threw the book across the room going, it got me again because uh, I do what William does did, which is this. I want you to feel comfortable as a reader. I want you to think that you know what's going to happen next. And then I'm going to pull the rug out from under you and you're going to love it. William Goldman was a master of that. He was funny. He was sharp. There was never any DX machina where something would happen that wouldn't make sense. But when it comes down to the end of it, you look backward and it all makes sense. You, you see the breadcrumbs, you go, oh, that, that was inevitable. And I did not see it coming. So much of my fiction is focused on that magic trick. Because when, it, when it's going great, it's exciting, it's fun, and you're defying expectations, but in a good way. I love that about William Goldman's books and people need to read William Goldman's books. The, the movies fine. Enjoy the, enjoy the movies. But if you read his books, you will learn so much more about writing than any writing class. It is a clinic in how to pull readers in, hold them, surprise them and make it so much fun. Hmm. There's heart, there's jokes, he also wrote some nonfiction, which is really worth reading, certainly. But his novels are just captivating. 
and that is what I do. Huh. (laughs) So what, what, if you're going to give us like two or three, which ones, because I think I've read The Princess Bride. Because that was a book first, right? Before it was a movie. It's yeah. just, the movie was so good. It's hard not to think about the movie. but Yeah. Yeah. Princess Bride, The Color of Light. Actually, those two really stand out for me. There's Temple of Gold. How about uh, Marathon Men? Brothers. Brothers. Oh, I love, I love, I like Brothers more than I like Marathon Men, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Brothers is uh, the follow up to Marathon Man, which unfortunately nobody knows about. And at that time, it, when I read the book, I, all I could picture was Roy Scheider uh, being that brother. Yeah, Brothers is an excellent choice. I, I believe that novel was suppressed by the American Dental Association. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, William Goldman told a funny story about that, how people would leave the theater during the, the dental torture scene. And I think I might have. It's pretty uncomfortable to watch or read about. William Goldman was such a, a funny character, too. I, I remember a story where he was in a meeting in Hollywood, big wigs, producer, director, actor, and they were being difficult. You know, I've got this anti authoritarian streak, so this appeals to me immensely. <laughs> William Goldman listening to their notes and thinking, oh, this is stupid. This is crazy. I know what I'm doing. They don't know what they're doing. And he stood up and he said, gentlemen, I am too old and too rich to deal with your bullshit. And he walked out. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Now, you keep mentioning your anti-authority streak. And I'm going to need you to fall in line here, okay? Uh Uh-oh. He's just just cocked a shotgun. (laughs) This is not going to work out well at all. <laughs> but no, I I have to tell you, I love William Goldman. Oh, great! And uh, and I've I've read most of his books, and and I I remember the Color of Light, but I read it probably like thirty five or forty years mm-hmm. ago, and and I need to reread it. I've actually been rereading a bunch of uh, my favorite books lately. I don't know why, but uh, and discovering, I think, as we all do, that when you reread them. They're completely different books than when you first read yeah. them. So do you do you reread William Goldman books then? I have reread The Color of Light fairly recently, like a couple of years ago, I think. It's just there's so much to read that I don't tend to reread anything, and I try not to rewatch anything because life is too short. And it never hits you the same the second time because the book hasn't changed, but you have. So when I was like, I don't know, 18, 19, 20, the way of the peaceful warrior, it, uh, I, I thought, oh, wow, that's, you know, I was into martial arts and, and it, it just hit me just the right way at the right time. And I loved it. And I tried to revisit it at uh, 27 or 28. And I thought, oh my God, this is trite. This, huh. <laughs> this just, this huh. did not travel well. Um, well, but what what interests me is the is the work that does hold up because sometimes you do reread something and it's just as good as as when you read it before or better or you just get something else out of it. That's true. I guess the problem I have with that is I have a really good memory, and so it doesn't come back as fresh. Ah, okay. I just recently rewatched the final three seasons, I think, of Boston Legal enough time had passed where it was fresh enough where I could enjoy it again. 
So yeah, I, I'm a bit like you, Robert. I, I'm the same way. I, I can I can tend to tend to remember plots and characters pretty well. So especially, it sounds like Golding is like what he's doing is he's setting up an expectation and then twisting it. So if you remember the twist, then it's not quite as much fun. Now we got to be clear here, and I'm sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna embarrass you, Mark. That's fine. William Goldman, not Golding. Goldman, sorry. I've only, like I said, I've only read the one. So I want to know for the other listeners who haven't read Color of Light, what is that about? What's that book about? Because I'd like to read it now. It's a, I think one of the things that really hit me because it felt like, oh, this was written for me. It's about a young writer. And uh, it follows him. There's a murder mystery in it as well, but it's about the climb. God knows we're, we're all on a climb, man. Writing is such a, a tough <laughs> business. And for anybody who's listening to this, who is a creative, one of the, the bits of advice, the bits of wisdom dripping from my teeth is that people will tell you that you have to develop a thick skin. And I'm here to tell you that is nonsense. You're a human being and there's no such thing as developing a, a thick skin. You might go numb. You uh, can develop defensive strategies. Like when you get a bad review, you go, Oh, well, that's a situation where somebody's telling me they're stupid or they're telling me they're stupid. <laughs> and I, 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 uh, it's funny. I just covered this on one of my TikToks. I said, if I had to do it all again, what would I do differently? One of the things was do pen names. Cause if somebody doesn't like your pen name, you go, Oh, too bad for that guy. Uh, <laughs> or, or that woman, because you have that distance from it where they're criticizing your pen name. They're not criticizing you. Mm-hmm. Now that said, of course, most people are thrilled with my work who actually read it. Uh, <laughs> but there's always going to be those trolls on the internet. Just last week, I was reminded of that because um, we lost a, a major contributor to the horror genre. Uh, Jay Wilburn passed away. And I did a quick note on my TikTok of Jay Wilburn has passed away. Check out his books. He contributed a lot to the genre. If you're into horror, he's your guy. Support the family, that kind of thing. And the next day, there was a comment from a troll that I instantly deleted and blocked that said, I'm guessing you got the jab and crying laughing emoji, crying laughing emoji, crying laughing emoji. We live in a dark, dirty world. So this is why I am simultaneously bent on vengeance and I hide in my blanket for it. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, yeah, guys, uh, this is a a tough business, but there is so much joy. And I, I have a... A little fan group of people who do support my work, and I'm in the the group daily. Going, hey, here's the funny thing I saw. Here's the funny thing I read. Here's a here's a joke to start your day. Uh, here's a, a gif I like. Here's a meme. Blah blah blah. And uh, the rewards are so much greater than what will suck your soul down to hell. But there will be those people who are trying to pull you down to hell. I remember my dad saying something about writing not being work, mm-hmm. and um, I. I corrected him. (laughs) (laughs) Even William Goldman referenced that himself. Mm -hmm. And and I forget who the writer was that he was talking about, but he he said he met this very successful, famous writer. And he thought, you know, I'm just going to ask him. He said, do the words come easy for you? And the famous, successful writer didn't even bothered to answer him he just gave him this pitying look and william goldman was hugely embarrassed at having asked the question because no of course 
maybe a few words here and there are easy, but most of them are hard, even for people like William Goldman. Yeah, you know, uh, what I find funny is I suffer from insomnia quite frequently. And one of the things that keeps me up at night, as I did last night, was I'm working on something right now, and I had no idea where it was going. What would be the, the big twist? Where is this story going? It's multiple tales of vengeance. It's a lot of fun, but what's the point? Where, where are we headed? And it all fell into my head at between 3 and 5 in the morning. And I'm sitting there going, I got to remember this. Should I get up and make notes? Oh, yeah. I, oh no. no. I've, oh, I've got it. And I still, fortunately, good memory. But there's a, a trick. We talked about productivity a little bit. One of my favorite things is to tell people that if you go to bed with an idea, a question, in the morning, the answer will come to you. It's called the hypnagogic state. If you don't wake up to a, an alarm, that helps. If you wake up slowly for a couple minutes a day, you're a goddamn genius. And that couple moments in the hypnagogic state between sleeping and waking, you can come up with such brilliant plot twists, plot ideas, characters. Uh, when I wrote uh, Bigger Than Jesus, which looks like Bigger Than Jesus to the uninitiated, <laughs> it's uh, about an assassin in my head played by John Leguizamo. I hope you sent him some of your books. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, I just uh, read Run by Blake Crouch, and you know I referenced that as a tutorial on pacing. And I wanted to do something like that. And I wrote Bigger Than Jesus from idea to execution to publishing it. All it took was three months. And I wrote a chapter a day. Wow. And uh, sometimes a bit more. But typically, I wrote a chapter a day, and I would paint him into a corner. And I had no idea what the next chapter would be. I'm a pantser, not a plotter, typically, unless it's a bigger book. The outline... You know, people have this idea that lines are like when you are in school and they go Roman numerals and, you know, one, two, three, ABC, all that stuff. Nonsense. Just write a sentence per chapter or a paragraph per chapter. I know that there are people who have their processes, but uh, if I was plotting a gargantuan story with a lot of threads, I would just do a sentence a chapter and that would take me there. Because you're going to change it anyway. It's like having a business plan. Business plans are nonsense. Fairy dust and, you know, you, you may as well be predicting cloud formations. That's all for accountants. That's absolute bullshit. But, you know, making up numbers to please banks, that kind of thing. But typically I'm a pantser and I would paint my protagonist into a corner. No idea what's happening next. And then I would ask the question just before I went to sleep. And the morning I would wake up and go, oh, that's how I, I get him out with it without it making it, it seem artificial or unearned or DS expansion of that, and that, that kind of thing. And I followed that template for I don't know, a couple months or something. And then we went into the editorial process and I hired a graphic artist and he came up with a great cover and that was bigger than Jesus. And that was the, that was the first of the trilogy. That's awesome. Do you typically go with, with your first idea or do you wind up changing it? Go, okay, that's not quite good enough or, you know, I'm going to try to come up with something better. Or is the first idea the best? I wouldn't say it changes. I'd say it develops. So just like last night, I had a, a pretty, it was almost like writing short stories. And that's one thing that some people do is thinking of each chapter as a short story, and then you connect them. That can make things a bit easier. I think that came from the author of Fight Club, actually. Jack Polinick. Yep. The last name nobody can pronounce or spell. But <laughs> yes, Chuck Polinick. 
he's an interesting guy because he, you know, he found the writing process boring. So he'd write at parties and he would crowdsource stuff like what's code blue, what's code brown, what's code, you know, it, it would be a, a party game of, of uh, what do these codes mean in this, in this book? What's, what's code magenta mean, you know, at the airport, he had a lot of fun with it. And when you were a pantser and you follow the leads of the hypnagogic state, it becomes a propulsive thing from chapter to chapter. And so a long book can feel like a short book. And you can go, as I did last night, where I had these short stories and I didn't know where it was going. And then in my insomniac state, actually, it was, it was uh, hypnagogic because I was kind of in and out. I thought, oh, that is the twist that is going to set this book apart and is going to be the big surprise at the end. I could see the last line. And sometimes it's fun to write toward the last line. So I wrote with uh, yeah, Bigger Than Jesus and Higher Than Jesus, the title is explained in the last line of the book. Gotcha. And so it's kind of fun to write toward a target and have some idea of where it's it's headed. Things will change, but I, I, I don't think of it as changing. I think of it as becoming richer and developing. And it's adding more to the recipe, so it means more to the, the reader. The other thing I would say is... I think very important for writers is don't write red shirts. So when somebody dies in my books, you do care about them. There's a point they, they have a backstory and I may not even share all the backstory, but you will know enough about them that it doesn't feel like, Oh, we're just knocking them off left and right. And who cares? Yeah. I feel that way about all characters. Even if they just appear for a few lines, they should have a life. Even if you don't write about it. Yeah, you can mm -hmm. in just a few brushstrokes. You can you can give people a bit of a, a background and a resonance with the reader, so it means something when they do fail or when they win. I am frustrated with some books that I feel miss opportunities to elevate the genre. So I remember being in some forum and somebody said, "Oh, mm. he's just one of those zombie guys." It's like, okay, you have not read this Plague of Days because if you've read this Plague of Days that defies all the expectations of the genre. And it, it falls a lot of the tropes too. So you're, you know, you're not, you know, I remember being at a, a, in a writing group and I ran into this guy. He had this fantastic vision of having a civilization of sorts within Saturn's rings. And I thought, well, oh, that's a terrible idea because it's not going to resonate with anybody. It does, it's not relatable. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> you know, because he, he had very imaginative ideas, but they were in no way grounded in anything that anybody could relate to. He couldn't communicate that. I did not have that skill. And I don't know anybody who could actually, because uh, he was way out there. So I just, you know, you poor soul, but you know, go write that and, and then put it away and never let it see the light of day, uh, <laughs> burn it. And then write something where, you know, somebody has coffee. Because mm -hmm. <laughs> people can relate to coffee. You know, it's funny. I, I was, I was reading, uh, rereading Spider Rose. Ah, he does reread. Yep. Aha. But. God. Well, a logical inconsistency. Ah! <laughs> <Check -cues>. <laughs> now, <laughs> now you're on my list. <laughs> hey, that was my only goal of the whole meeting. <laughs> I met Spider Robinson in my third year university. I listened to one of his books that he actually read himself. And I, I thought, oh, yes, I've, I, I read this as a book, but now I've seen, I've, I've, I've heard the audio book. And that guy is obsessed with coffee. It shows up. <laughs> It shows up in his books as like, you know, oh, you, you, uh, you want cream in your coffee. I thought you wanted coffee, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> he's, he goes on and on about, he's got this 
German coffee maker that somebody gifted him. And I thought, you're on Vancouver Island and somebody gifted you a really fancy coffee maker is what you're telling me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This feels very autobiographical. And puns, if I recall. Yes, puns. Yeah, the Callahan books have lots Callahan of stories, saloons, yeah. have lots yeah. of puns in them. In fact, that's part of the running gag is who comes up with the best pun. I have a question. So I want to make sure I pronounce this correctly because mm. I've done it wrong twice. Hypnogogic state, is that correct? Is that how that's you right. pronounce that? Hypnogogic state. Because that's what I call my idea hamster. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> he just runs around. and So yeah, like I'm like, okay – this is the thing you have to work on idea hamster. And I put him in his little wheel and he runs around the wheel and then eventually he stops running and there's an idea there. I see. Hmm. So, and it does tend to happen overnight. Yep. Well, that's the hypnagogic state. Yeah. You had it without the, without the label on it. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But now I have a fancy label, so I don't have to sound like an idiot. Well, I do feel smarter when I see hypnagogic state and it, <laughs> I say it often. <laughs> Is there anything else that you want to tell us about William Goldman? Do you know much about the man or? Well, f- through his nonfiction, because uh, he wrote the Bible of screenwriting, and he also wrote some really funny stuff about judging the Miss America contest. Uh- <laughs> yeah. Adventures in the uh, Screen Trade. Yeah. And then there was a follow-up to that. Which, which Lie Did I Tell is his other book. Yes. And I think he might have been the first one to make some observation about when writers write in Hollywood on spec, that also reflects their value to Hollywood because they're a spec. Uh, (laughs) But uh, (laughs) William Goldman, he's just this fascinating, one-of-a-kind character. And he also, he was kind of humble in that I remember the story about how he went to a restaurant and restaurant Hollywood waiters, they're all screenwriters. And somebody, somebody asked him, I mean, the cliche actors. Yeah. <laughs> the cliches are all true. Somebody, th- this waiter said, you know, what he do? Cause you know, he looked like he had money and uh, he said, uh, I'm a screenwriter. And the, the guy said, and he was a young guy and William Goldman has been in the business for a long time. He replied, no, oh, I wrote Butch. And the guy looked at him blankly, like, what? I'd never heard of it. And that's Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, Robert Redford, who's still around, uh, Paul Newman, you know, the classic scene of uh, them riding around, uh, raindrops keep falling on my head, on the, the, the bicycle, and the, the big shootout at the end where they, they face down the Mexican army and all that stuff. Or the Bolivian Army, actually. I'm sorry, I gotta jump in there. My favorite part is when they're on the cliff and they're the the posse is arrowing in on them, yeah. and it's the kid who doesn't want to jump right because he can't swim. Yeah. <laughs> I can't swim. That's which right. is like hell. The fall is probably gonna kill you. That's and that <laughs> yeah that uh, that sh- that short quippy dialogue is is all Goldman as well. He's he's got his fingerprints all over it. So I yeah. I so admire what he accomplished in his life. I know Rob Reiner went to see him when he was on his deathbed and uh, Rob Reiner said to him, because they'd worked together on Princess Bride, of course. And uh, Rob said, you know, Bill, I love you. And William Goldman looked up at him and said, fuck you. (laughs) 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 He's just, uh, one of a kind. And I really can't think of another screenwriter who has, there, there's, you know, Sid Field, who I think 
he's famous for writing uh, advice to screenwriters, but hasn't actually written a whole lot of movies uh, or any. Um, yeah. Roger Ebert. He was a great critic of movies, but he wrote one. And it was a terrible failure. But he was a great writer. He didn't write movies, but he was a great writer. Yeah. It wasn't a filmmaker per se. He was yes. a, a critic. So, you know, I really can't think of another character who emerges from that industry who had such an impact and was so long lasting. And at the same time, as a novelist, he's virtually unknown. And that is the only tragedy that uh, visited William Goldman's professional career is that he's not better known as a novelist because the depth of his work, the prose is just, it, it pulls you in and it's riveting. There must be a bunch of us though, that, you know, maybe he's not really out there in the zeitgeist, but I've certainly read a bunch of his books and love his books. And I discovered him because somebody mentioned him in university. It mentioned adventures in the screen trade. Uh-huh. And I was I was interested in the movie industry. So I read that. And then I I went out to see what else William Goldman had done and discovered his novels and then just kind of went through them. Yeah, I, I think uh, there's a lot of people who, who have read Princess Bride. The Princess Bride is a fine movie, which I hope they don't remake. And, uh, you know, just watch the original. Don't try to, you know, take a shitty movie and make it better. Don't make a great movie and make it worse. And uh, yeah, they may have read... The Princess Bride, which is funny and it, some of it's kind of caustic because it, what people may not expect is that there are these little interstitials where he's talking about, oh, my son is fat. <laughs> and he you know, talks about the invention of golf and stuff. That, that's where it ends. The discoverability, the visibility ended because he, he wrote so many of these great books. And Joe, I'm I'm glad that you are familiar with his his books. Most people that I've talked to about William Goldman go, he wrote novels. It, it's not really surprising because you know if you look at what pays more. Certainly, when I was in journalism school, I confessed to my professor uh, Walter Stewart, who I adored, I, and he he had written uh, nonfiction books. I said, I'm going to be a novelist. I'm going to write her. And he said, You know, writers make pennies an hour, right? <laughs> <laughs> Why do people say stuff like that? Because uh, it's true. Typically, it's true. I would say a lot of journalists are frustrated novelists. I would say that the man had a heart of gold and it was a fair warning. That, that's probably true. And the thing is, I was going to do it anyway. I mean, so it didn't matter. You know, yeah. and if you are that easily discouraged, you're not going to. I mean, there are plenty of people who say, I'm going to write a novel someday. You know, as soon as I get through with this engineering career and stop you know, building bridges or whatever, I'm going to sit down at a typewriter. A typewriter, really. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, every writer has met somebody at, a, at some kind of social function. You know, they find out what you do and they go, I have a book in me. And I think that's probably where it's going to stay. Because you know they're like my dad going. Well, it's not really work, is it? <laughs> it's not necessarily true, though. One of my favorite comics is um, a guy's on, a, on the operating table, and the the surgeon has like a pair of tongs with a book in it, and he says, "By God, he did have a book in him." <laughs> well, uh, in that instance, that singular instance, I would agree that it's not always true. <laughs> but uh, yeah, people uh, underestimate the work. And, you know, it, it, it's true. Any occupation that doesn't have a machine with a red light flashing on it where you, it's it, anything that is low tech, 
everybody thinks they can do it. Like my wife is a brilliant psychologist. And because it appears like she's just sitting there talking to people and go, I could do that. I could sit there and talk to people. And then, you know, I happen to know that, you know, she's dealing with, well, I've got the suicidal kid I'm trying to save. <laughs> it's like, mm. oh, the, stick, the sticks are, you know, like I, at one, at one point I thought, being a psychologist, that would be a sweet gig, but I would only want to deal with a worried well. There's a, a great line from uh, Frazier. I think the best line from Frazier is Niles, of course. He says, as a psychiatrist, he loved treating lawyers because they have excellent insurance and they never get better. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. You know, and it's funny what you say about writing books, how it appears easy, but it's really hard. Even now, I suffer from the delusion that I always think that the next thing that I'm working on is going to be easy. And it never is. Always takes far longer than I think it will take. Yeah. And I must confess that I, I suffer from shiny trinket syndrome, right? I have a new idea. I could follow that new idea. I mean, I'm in the middle of this other idea. Like I could write this. I wrote a bunch of chapters of a kind of a um, fantasy kind of thing, like a, like a Game of Thrones kind of kind of deal. And then I had this idea about what about Fight Club for Women? What about what about writing a a story of vengeance where the underdogs finally fight back? That's in my wheelhouse. I could do that. I want to do that. I want to go, I got to do that right now. The sword and the sorcery, the sword thing, uh, that that can wait. But I got to write this thing right now. And uh, so that's what I'm working on right now. Well, there's there's lots that I could write, but uh, I'm afraid that I'm going to be spending all of my time editing podcasts, which is why <laughs> we're going to end here. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're saying that you're cursed. I understand. <laughs> I have uh, I've I've had a lot of podcasts in my in my uh, time, and you have my sympathy. Thank you, thank you, Mark. Any last words or? Oh, just you're talking about uh, people having books in them, and that made me think of. The Marks joke. Outside of a dog, a book is man's best friend. Inside of a dog, a book is really hard to read. <laughs> Love those lines. Like, time flies like an arrow. Fruit flies like a banana. Yeah, people don't know Karl Marx was pretty funny. <laughs> That's right. Robert, any closing thoughts? Well, I should... You know, you, you, you said that you had six listeners, and I'm going to make it seven, so I, I need to do this. Anybody who wants to find my work can go to allthatchaz.com. Chaz with two Zs, two Zs, if you're nasty. And that's where you can find links to all my books, the apocalyptic epics with heart and the killer crime thrillers with muscle. And go read my work. And at some point, when you're stuck, go read some William Goldman. You know, I honestly, I'm not sure that my mother's going to do either. But thanks. Thanks for pointing that out <laughs> she's on my list <laughs> on that note thank you guys both very much welcome that was fun listening to Recreative, 
podcast about creativity. Talking to creative people from every walk of life about the art that inspires them. And you're probably wondering, how can I support this podcast? I am wondering, Joe, how can I support this podcast? I mean, apart from being on it. There's no advertisements in this podcast. There's no tip jars. There's nothing about like buying us a coffee or anything like that. But there is a way that you can support us. And what is that? It's not about supporting us. It's about supporting the people that we're talking to. I think most of the people we've talked to are artists of some description and they probably have some kind of artistic product that you could buy and if you enjoyed it maybe you could review it for them oh yeah but maybe us too yeah you know what us too it wouldn't hurt they could buy our books and how do they find us recreative.ca don't forget the hyphen there's a hyphen in there re hyphen creative i took your line sorry well because i stole your line <laughs> so yes re hyphen creative.ca Jenks. Oh yeah, you're, that, I stole your line again. <laughs> As well, if you like what you've just heard, you could consider subscribing to the podcast. And leave a comment if you like it. Thanks for listening. Spread the word.